Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Okay, hi, this is June Rumley from dailystraits.com and today we're speaking with the uh, co-founder of Pound Marketing, a Sydney-based digital marketing agency uh, started by Malaysian uh, uh, Simran Kaur. Yeah. So we call her Sim uh, for short and she's been here for ages and she's going to tell us all the tips and tricks about starting a business in Australia, a successful one, and then moving back to Malaysia to uh, start another one there as well. So... Uh, let's start with how you got to Australia. So I know it's a long... You've been here since you were your teen or tweens? Yeah, so I've been here since I've almost been... Yeah, so I came out when I was 15 and a half. So I finished my O-levels in Malaysia. And then in order to come here, I'd either have to do my year 11 and my year 12. But instead of doing that, I decided to go into like a bridging program with Taylor's College over here. So it's like a 10-month intensive program. And if you go through the program and you get the grades, then you can automatically pretty much get into a university. So Taylor's College was associated with Sydney Uni. Um, So yeah, so I did Taylor's College, got the grades, started at Sydney Uni, and then pretty much that that's how I came across. Okay, so you studied what? Marketing? So I did um, a Bachelor's of Economics and Social Sciences, and then I did a triple major um, at Sydney Uni. So then after that, I was also working at the same time. So because my whole family was from Malaysia, so I was here by myself. So I had to kind of stay in like a foster kind of family because I was under the age of 18. Um, But my mom's obviously a single mom, so mom couldn't really afford education plus all the bells and whistles. So I started pretty much in hospitality and doing like every job you can possibly think of under the sun just to get money to kind of, you know, make it through uni. Um, after uni, I decided to go back to Malaysia because I had this great plan that everyone's like, you know, you should take like a one year holiday, like a gap year, um, without realizing that I didn't have money for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I went back to Malaysia for a year, I was working. So I was running a bar. And then from there, I did internal audit and risk management. Absolutely hated it, but I had enough money. So then I went to South America for three months and then I finally came back and had clarity in terms of what my life was going to be so then I ended up doing a double master's back at Sydney Uni and then started my career from there okay so are you a KL born girl or what yep born and bred born and bred okay (laughs) so what was your first job and um so you pretty much like uh I think you did like head of communications or something that the last drawn job I knew yeah I've done so many so many different jobs but like I think in terms of my Australia corporate professional job um I I started off as a marketing coordinator at a technology company called Sophos then from there moved on to be a marketing manager again at a technology company called Webroot and then from there my role expanded so originally I was just the marketing manager for Australia but then I started to look after Asia Pacific and then from there my third and final job before I started Pounce was for another tech company and I was looking again after Asia Pacific, so marketing for the entire region. And then from there, I decided that, you know what, if I'm working for everyone and I'm putting in the hours, because my role was obviously an international role. So I'd be working with not just the US, but also working with like key stakeholders in the Asia Pacific region, plus the UK. So 
I was covering every single time zone. So I'm like, if I'm working crazy hours and doing it for everybody else, why not take a leap of faith and just do it for myself? So that embarked me on the journey to start Pounds. So that was the turning point in 2016, 2017? Yep. Okay, so you left your cushy, cushy job with a salary. Yep. Did you have savings to tide you over while you're starting a business or were you doing it both on the side? No. So <laughs> it was kind of a crazy kind of situation because that year my grandpa passed away. What year is this? 2016? 2016, okay. yeah. So 2016, my grandpa passed away and my family really wanted me to, like I wanted to be there for my family, right? Because my family is everything to me. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of always going back and forth because my role, it still allowed me to travel. So this was well and truly before COVID. So you could travel. Um, And then the more I kept spending time with my family, I kind of came to this crossroads because I'm like, I feel like my family need me, but work needs me at the same time. And I felt that I couldn't do both and Mm -hmm. do both well. So in my mind at that point in time, not knowing what I know now, I was like, well, if I run my own business, I can work my own hours I have freedom, I have flexibility, so why not try it, right? In hindsight, that's obviously not the case now. I've learned my lesson, but that's what I believed at that point in time. So that made me take the leap of faith. I think I started Pounce with probably like $10,000 worth of savings. That's it. So that's all I had to live off to get myself up and running very quickly. Okay, for rent and food and everything. Alrighty, that was a bold move. So you 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 left your job cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Went back to Malaysia to sort your family out, and then yeah, came... I spent like I think it literally was. I went back to Malaysia. I told my mom, I'm like, I've just quit my job. I'm starting my own business. Mom was like, I think you need to have some wusa and like have some clarity. So I remember we went to Lombok for a week for a holiday, just for mom to be like, sim plan like think about this very carefully is this what you want to do for the rest of your life I came back and then I'm like yep this is definitely what I want to do book my plane ticket straight after that came back to Sydney and started pants so you signed your launch room yes with a with a laptop with no stuff correct Jesus Christ so how did you get your first client so my biggest thing was because I've been here for so long I'm a networker, right? Like just, I've always loved talking to people. So my first point of call was I'd reach out to my networks and just tell them that I'm starting something new. Um, And then the question started to flow. Oh, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? And in my mind, I'm like, that's a great question because I never really thought about it. I'm like, I want to start a business. But what the business actually was, I hadn't had a business plan. I hadn't had anything put together. So then that started me on the journey of, okay, now I need my logo. Now I need my website. Now I need to get some collateral. So if people are like asking about me, I have something tangible that I can give them, right? Other than that, it was just more like, yeah, cool, I'm running a business, you know? Like, would you want to be my client kind of situation? So So you got all of that sorted and your rate card? Yes. And the range of services that you were going to provide? Correct. And who was your first client? So what, sorry, stop you there. Tw- it Was this 2017? Yes. Okay. Uh, so how, like, who was your first client? So my very first client was Dragonfly Technologies. 
this is your past you knew them from your past working life right correct so someone or someone told me that they were looking for someone to help them with their marketing so i went and i met them um and then it started from there so it was not like a job they contracted you your company and paid and you had an abn or acn by then a so i started off straight off the bat with an abn because i'm like i need to make sure that my structures are all set up um and my biggest thing as well was in order for me to be seen as professional i had to have an office space right so my priorities were very different to a lot of people so yes i did start in my lounge room that was probably for the first month but then i got myself an office like a one person office and then use that as my benchmark to then get start to get clients and stuff because i felt that if you've got an office you've got credibility right you're not just this random person that is starting a business with no tangible credibility associated with it. So where did you get this office? Was it in Fishburners? No, so I went to McGrath. So McGrath Suites on Pitt Street. Okay. Mm. And you were just one how long were you a one woman show if you don't mind me asking? So I was a one woman show for one year. Mhm. Then from there I started to Then I met a friend of mine because it was interesting in that one year we've got a family sporting goods business in Malaysia, traditional brick and mortar store, and they wanted to do a whole digital transformation piece. They wanted to then also have like a e-commerce website set up. I thinking, "Hey, I run a marketing agency. I should be able to help them." But in the back of my mind, I knew I didn't have all the necessary skill sets to launch an e-commerce store. So then I contacted a friend of mine and a friend of mine was like, "Oh, I know this guy called Rex. He's amazing. Like he he's more than happy to help you with this." So I told him I had a very very small budget. And now in hindsight, I'm like it was a very very small budget. Um, but he started to kind of come in and then he helped me get the website, the e-commerce store up and running. He helped with the entire digital transformation piece for the family. Um and then through that I started to pick his brains as well in terms of how to really grow and facilitate an agency. So at that point in time I then affiliated myself with lots of different universities and I started to get interns that I could then start training, right? That's how I started. Um but you paid them a very minimal amount, okay. Correct. So I paid them just like whatever the basic amount was because I'm like I can't afford a full-time candidate but I can afford having someone help me either from an intern capacity or I had a pool of friends that I knew were specialists in their different fields like I knew a graphic designer I knew a web developer I knew a videographer I knew a photographer so I would either pull them in or sometimes just for pounds like that's when I'd use the interns because I'm like I need someone to help me with my own brand and get that up and running right so i got some interns to help with like my content for social like you know things that i needed for my checklist for pounds and i leveraged a pool of freelancers to then be able to help me deliver on certain capabilities that i couldn't do myself so did you use upwork fiverr any of those no no all- so this was like my trusted networks of people that i knew could deliver if i didn't feel confident like for example someone needed paid ads and at that point I didn't do any form of paid advertising um I would then be like I can help you find an agency to who offers that service and you get the cut or no no I just... at that point it was just I wanted to do what was best for my clients mm-hmm. and just as long as I could then be able to look at the results that were coming through so at that point in time when I first started 
the easiest way to think about it was yes, I ran my own business, but I was almost like your outsourced Ooh. marketing manager. Okay. For a lot of different clients. Okay. So I would come up with the strategy, I'd be able to build out the plan and then I would help them find resources to deliver against the plan. Oh, that's how freelance journalists work. They are journalists and they work for multiple yeah. news organizations. Okay, I got it. So the ten thousand dollars you started, it lasted you probably what, three months? Yeah, but I was quite lucky because when was it? I probably say a month of me starting, I already had my first client. Three months in, I probably had five or six different clients that were already under my belt. Okay, so you already, yeah, so money was not an issue. You could pay rent and also could, like, you know, afford mm-hmm. maybe two or three interns. Yeah. And then after that, so uh, that at that time, you already had the name Pounds? Yep. And why Pounds? So that's a great question because I remember sitting in my lounge room trying to think of a name for my company, but I couldn't think of something that was really resonating or the names that I was thinking of someone had already bought it right like because I also had to check other domains mm-hmm. available for purchase then from there like one all of a sudden like I was thinking I'm like why not pounds you know like because I'm always affiliated like my brand persona that I love is a tiger right like I think a tiger always takes the time it a it analyzes its environment and then it pounces right yeah. so I felt a lot of those characteristics of the tiger really embodied the agency that I wanted to create. So then that's how Pounce really came about. So Pounce marketing was available at that point in time. And that's and how I started. Okay, and then after that, so a couple of months after that, when did you become a full-fledged agency? Like, you know, like real office where you were drawing serious clients? I would say year two at like probably the later half like the middle half of year two that's when we started to get some really big clients so at this point you was you were not doing all the marketing you were going out and pitching for business and you had other people doing the like you know marketing plans for clients no so i would do all the strategy i'd be able to do a lot of the execution because i could do the copywriting i could do the basic design that they needed so the basics of what needed to get done i could execute but when it came to bigger projects like say for example they wanted to do an entire website, I would engage or I would partner with someone to then be like, hey, I need this kind of thing delivered. In year two, two and a half, that's when we shifted our model because in year two, I hired our first employee. So my first employee was a digital designer um, and he was actually someone that came through our internship program. So he did his internship and I loved working with him. So we offered him a full-time role. Um and then from there, after we hired Victor, so after we had a graphic designer, then we hired a copywriter, then from there we hired a developer, and that from that point on, our team started to grow very quickly. Mm, and how did that feel, like starting to like pay people's salary? Scary, <laughs> scary, because I think one of the biggest things was I realized in order for me to be able to afford everyone, I couldn't be paying myself the salary that I wanted. So I sacrificed, like I was still getting a wage, but not nowhere near what my cushy job was, right? But I believe that I needed to do that sacrifice from a salary perspective to be able to afford 
the team that I had. So at this point, right, how did you set up payroll, like your money, salary? Was it through zero, all those? So from day one that I started, the two things that my mom always told me you never mess around with, make sure you get yourself a really good lawyer to get your contracts done and always hire a really good accounts team to manage all of that for you. So from day one, I already had those two things in place. So you had them on retainer? Okay, cool. Very good. Yeah. Alrighty. Then after that... So they set up my payroll. They set all of that up. Um, One of my friends, Grace, she is in HR. So like at that point, I didn't think I needed HR. So, you know, if there were any HR related matters, I'd always seek her advice. Um, And there's always online, there's heaps of resources that could give you advice from what to do from a HR perspective. But it was like in the middle of year two, that's when we got a freelance like a HR consultant to come in again on a retained basis just to make sure that all our policies and procedures were all up to date. Awesome. Okay. So moving on to the company. So what client did you get that you thought you never could get? Some impossible client that you managed to snatch? So we won Panasonic. What? Yeah. So Panasonic literally came to us by organically. So they found us through a Google search, filled up the contact us page on our website and that's how they came through. Awesome. I thought, you know, from your old days. No, okay. So this is a cold. Completely cold, very big client for us. We're still working with them at the moment, uh-huh. but big client for us. Okay. So it's been seven years, like ups and downs. Some of the downs, maybe you can uh, tell us like for people who want to start. And you're also a lady, like, you know. So did you find that an issue here? Like 100%. <laughs> like, cause like when I started the business, I was always in B2B technology, right? And technology and IT. And obviously that's a very male dominated industry. So it's one of those things that as a woman, you have to fight that level harder to be able to get the attention of clients that you want to work with, you know? And in some cases, like when you first start out, you have the mentality that oh my God, I need to get every client possible because that's money through the door. But as you start to evolve your business, you get smarter because you don't want every client. You want to have clients that are aligned to like the values, what you believe in and the work that you want to do for them. You know, so we had some clients, one or two clients where I bring Rex, my business partner in. And even though I was delivering the strategy, I did everything for them. They would refuse to look at me, refuse to talk to me, and they'd only want to talk to someone else. And I would almost be seen like the maid or the secretary, right? And clients like that, I was like, well, if you don't respect me enough to have the conversation with me and you've got that kind of mindset, I don't want to work with you. So again, it was a very big shift in mindset and how we evolved as a business as well in terms of the agency that we created in terms of the clients that we want to work with. So we always work with clients that have strong alignment and that can see the bigger picture with us as well. Mm. And what about clients who don't, uh, like how does your payment structure work? You go in, you give them a free quote? So for us, our process always comes down to sitting with the client to have like an initial discovery session with them because nine out of 10, I can tell you a client walks through the door thinking they want an apple, but they actually might need an orange. You know what I mean? So in that discovery session, I take the time to sit down to understand where they currently are now, where do they want to get to? And then from there, I put forward a plan of attack 
to help them achieve their goals and objectives. If they like that plan and they approve all the costings, then we give them an engagement agreement and we get started from there. Okay, great. All right, so seven years have gone and now you are a team of? So we're a team of 13 here in Sydney. We've got a team of four in Malaysia. Yeah, and we've got three more people that were actively hiring. So you Malaysia. you have married. Uh, I mean, you you you're a co-founder, but you had a, someone who came in, and you've you've like you know. Yeah. So Rax work. came in to help, like when I was in, like year one. So probably six months from when I started. Then from there, I always had this mindset that you don't really shit where you eat, kind of a thing. And I was always like, well, I can't have a relationship with him because I'm like, well, then at the end of the day, if something goes pear shaped. Who's going to help me deliver the work that I need to get delivered? And that was always my mindset. Um, but then fast forward, we started to really get to know each other. And I knew we had feelings for each other. So then we came up with a 30-day contract. So we drafted a contract between ourselves that in 30 days, we would go out with each other and we'll see what happens, right? And we had three options. So at the end of the 30 days, we would either be in a relationship, we'll walk away and be friends, or we just won't talk to each other anymore. Like, we'll call it, like, you go your way, I kind of go my way. But then it just so happened that throughout that process, we fell in love. And it was the 4th of February. So it's ironic enough because 4th of February 2017, we launched Pounce. Sorry, 2016. 2017, we got married on the 4th of February. So the same day that is Pounce. Pounce's registration date is also my wedding wedding, reg- wedding registration date. Oh, so this is the best thing that happened to you. Like, you know, having the epiphany uh, to open your own business and then you got your, you know, got married and like... Yeah, like I think it wasn't easy because I think when you look at it, I've always had a client side mentality, but Rax has come from agency land, right? Like, so he's worked with all the big boys from... DDB to Leo Burnett's like he's got a wealth of experience but trying to find like in the beginning that balance between the agency side sim versus like the business side where he kind of sees how everything is meant to be humming it took a lot of getting used to but I'd say like we found our lane and I think like even now like we don't really cross paths right like I look after more client marketing creative. He looks after more technology, delivery, and production. So from that perspective, we don't really cross too many lines. And we always have a rule that when we get over the Anzac Bridge, I don't, like, we're not allowed to talk work. And if we do, then we have to put money in, like, the piggy bank. And then that goes out for, like, our date nights. And to be honest, we've had a lot of date (laughs) nights because sometimes it hasn't really worked the way that it should. That we're, like, we get over the bridge and... Something or something happens work-related or someone would call and you're like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> so nice. Okay, so what year would you get married? 2018? Quite fast. 2016 you started. 2017 you got your clients. And what? when did you get married? You... 2017. 2017? Yeah. And 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Yeah, because it'll be seven years this year. Oh my goodness. Okay, so just the two of you who own the sh- uh, home. Okay. Great. So now you are doing international expansion and back to your home country. I mean, this is your uh, home country, Malaysia. Which yep. I don't think you, it, when you started, you would 
thought you would. I never thought I would go back to Malaysia, to be honest. Like, I I think, you know, my family were always there. And when I did my uni, my mum and my grandpa were always like, okay, now you can come back, right? And I'm like, no, I love it in Australia. And then, like, I did my master's. And then they were like, okay, so now you can come back, right? And I was always like, no, I don't think I will. You know, I've just launched my business. So now I need to look after my business here. So it's really, like, ironic that last year something just transpired and the urge happened and it started so it was it happened very quickly again and I think it's because I always like to I move very quickly and I don't always necessarily wait for everyone to kind of follow our path um but yeah I was back in Malaysia in June for a holiday and then a couple of friends were like hey we've got like some really good candidates do you know anyone that would want to hire them I was like well you know what why don't we just open up a business in Malaysia and I never do anything in halves so I found an office space I did a full gut reno fit out um and then literally we were up and running by the 7th of July in Malaysia my goodness so it took what four weeks mm-hmm. and you did the what SSM certificate or correct enterprise is it correct so I'm just very lucky because my mom's part of the rotary like the rotary group so within that she's already got connections that have like businesses that would then be able to support me. So like one of her friends, Benny, um, he's got a company. So he helped me get my SSM. And then, you know, I think in Malaysia, it always comes back to who you know. And I think that helped expedite a lot of the processes from the SSM to getting my, the bank account set up to then getting all the paperwork and everything organized for Malaysia. So yeah, it happened very quickly. So you have four staff now in that office. Mm-hmm. Full time. Full time. Awesome. Okay, I just want to backtrack a bit, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people have reservations, like, you know, Malaysians who are in Australia, they have reservation going back to Malaysia because they think it's like a back move. Like, I think you have to look at it from the perspective of what you're trying to achieve, right? Like... I wouldn't go back personally to Malaysia to work for someone. That wouldn't, I would consider that a back move. But I think if you're a business and you want to scale and grow, I think you should be looking at Malaysia as a growth hub for your business. Because a lot of people here, like, what would you do, right? Like, you'd either go to the Phil's, because in Philippines, everyone speaks English, you know, but you can get the resources. There's lots of business processing that you can do out of the Philippines. Or a lot of businesses are like, hey, I want to go to India. And then again, cheap resources, right? That's what everyone's kind of looking for. But no one really actually thinks that Malaysia has a, a very big pool of talented resources that no one really is aware of. Well, I feel that they're not really aware of. And I think as long as you pay above market, you can get the best of the best. And that's always been our philosophy for our expansion in Malaysia was never a, hey, we just want cheap resources. We pay premium price for the top talent to ensure that the quality that we deliver is above and beyond. So the Malaysian office, right, what business are they supporting? New businesses in Malaysia, Southeast Asia, or just a support for your Australia? So a bit of both. So in the beginning, we were then... Because with Australia and all the talent shortages we weren't necessarily able to find certain skill sets of resources that we needed over here. So we were able to find them in Malaysia. But then in the short time of us opening and people heard that we were in Malaysia, we've actually won a couple of clients 
in Malaysia. So we're working with a cleaning company. We're working with a scrap metal company um, in Malaysia. How did you get these clients? You pitched for them or they found you? So ironically, <laughs> the cleaning company was um, one of the cleaners that were cleaning our building. And I spoke to their CEO and... <laughs> then he was like, I never thought about marketing, but he was in that position where he wanted to scale and grow, but he didn't know how to get there. So then that's how we embarked on that journey to start helping them. So, you know, they had their logo branding, but they didn't have a website. So now we're taking them on that journey. On that journey. Mm-hmm. The scrap metal company was literally, I went to a business networking event in Malaysia and I was just speaking to someone. And they were like, oh, yeah, we were looking for an agency, but, you know, we haven't really found one that we've connected with. And I'm like, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So I think, again, coming back to why I would be possibly thinking of moving back to Malaysia is because I think there's lots of organizations that need help from a marketing perspective. And I think you have to be there to build and nurture and foster some of those relationships to be able to amplify it and grow it to the Next level. To the next level that we want. Okay, this is going to be a sensitive question, but um, could it be that Australian operating an Australian business is very expensive? Because, you know, you, you read in the papers some companies that you never thought were close, just close like that. I think running in a business in Australia, I don't think is easy, right? Like, I think if you look at COVID, some businesses thrive, some businesses closed down quite quickly. We had the benefit of being a full service agency. So, you know, part of our business as well as events. So during COVID, we literally overnight lost close to $1.52 million in event revenue. But because we had pillars in other areas like digital marketing, creative, we were able to then ride the COVID wave. You know, yes, it hit us, but it just allowed us to diversify into other areas is Australia a cheap country? No, it's not. Talent is expensive. Um, rent's expensive. But it's just about making sure how your business is set up and the types of clients that you want as well. Because yes, people would always want cheap, but as long as you can showcase the value in terms of how you can help them, it, it wouldn't matter what the cost is to run a business here. You'd be able to offset because you'd have clients that are actually supporting you on that journey as well. Okay, now that you've gone through COVID, what do you think about remote work? Will you Are you open to that? Because earlier you said that, you know, it's not possible to run a company from the lounge room. So you moved to a one, one office. I like an office because for me personally, I like to have that level of separation, right? Like I like to wake up in the morning with a purpose of, okay, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go into an office. I get to talk and socialize. That's my nature of being. So with COVID, it was really ironic because we just got our new office and a month from the time we signed our lease to get everything ready, COVID hit. So we were all working remotely. Were you still paying the rent for that? 100%. And we didn't get no like, you know, discounts from a rent perspective or anything like that. Uh-huh. Um, but then like, you know, when we were coming back, it it was finding that balance in terms of what we wanted to do. So we have a work from home Wednesday policy so every Wednesday everyone works from home um, and if you want to work from home you you can work from home you just need to let you just need to communicate right and I think the biggest thing is ensuring that you communicate to your staff that working from home means you actually do the hours that you need to do it's not work from a cafe or 
I'm gonna go have a surf during you know this time of day and I'll work my own hours kind of a thing I think finding that balance in terms of what you do is important as well okay that's great so um 2024 we have chat gpt and everybody you can like the that thing can do the seo can do so many digital marketing things as you know it comes do you think this will be detrimental to all the digital marketing businesses there is out there not at all I think like as an agency, you can use ChatGPT for, or we use it just for research and thought starters. But there's so many things that you need a human element that you can't get from ChatGPT, right? Like say, for example, you're defining a client's um, brand messaging and tone of voice. ChatGPT, yeah, you can put like, you can give the best case scenario to ChatGPT. It can spin out something that's really super generic. But until you actually sit down with your client, you go through the workshop, you take the time to understand their business, you see how they react when you throw certain cues and stuff like that. It's not the same thing. You know what I mean? So I think if you're a small business, yes, you could use ChatGPT, completely your prerogative. Do I think that ChatGPT is going to replace everyone's roles? No. Do I still believe that there is a need for human intervention? Yes. SEO and ChatGPT, yes, you can ask it to give you certain keywords, but you still need to do your own manual research. You still need to have your structures in place. You know, there's all these different components that ChatGPT can't do for you. So I don't feel that ChatGPT would replace an agency, no. Alrighty, so next question is about tax. So Australia is very, very anal when it comes to tax. So when you're like associated with Australia, any income you earn from overseas is taxable. So how is this going to work? So now that you've opened two a Malaysian entity and Australia, so how is it like you know we just I'm quite quite curious how does it work? Like you have to pay the tax in Malaysia to uh, Lembaga Hasil Dalam Degree. Yeah. And then you have to pay here to the ATO, right? So because we set up Malaysia very, very quickly. The quickest way for us to do it was to have Australia as its own PTY LTD and Pounce. Agency is Pounce SD and BHD in Malaysia. So we've kind of kept them separate. We have a intercompany invoicing system, but obviously from here we have to charge Malaysia GST. But for Malaysia, because we're still a small business, any revenue that's under $500,000, you don't have to pay... SST, which is your sales tax or your GST equivalent to what it is, right? So from Malaysia, who invoices Australia, you don't have to pay tax. But from here over to Malaysia, you have to pay GST. Okay. So um, how does it work? Are you guys like the revenue? Is the revenue in... At the moment, it's separate. Separate, okay. But we've got, we've just engaged a tax accountant mm. to restructure our business, to have it all come under one umbrella. So that will, will Malaysia be subsidiary or main or here? Australia will be the main and then Malaysia will be a subsidiary. Subsidiary. Alrighty. So same name, Pound Marketing. So we started as Pounce Marketing here. Mm. We've gone through a rebrand. So last year we rebranded ourselves to Pounce Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going through again through that process um, to change it. So even on our website, we're Pounce Agency here, Pounce Agency Malaysia. Um, but just getting it changed up. So we'll probably not... No more pounds. It it, it will still be pounds, but it won't be pounds marketing. It will be pounds agency. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
Awesome. So let's move to, uh, I think I've covered all the questions, except that um, you are thinking of moving back, right? Thinking about it, yes. Because I feel like, you know, we've got the team pretty much well established over here. I think like saying, coming back to what we were talking about before, that I think really to grow your footprint in Asia, I think you just have to be in Asia, right? Because Malaysia is like the doorstep to so many different countries. For example, Singapore is just a stone's throw away. Um, we do have a lot of Singapore clients as well that we've been servicing here from Australia. So I think it just gives us additional opportunities to facilitate that from Malaysia. So when is the move uh, soon this year? We haven't planned anything yet. We're still like all in talks in terms of what we're going to be doing, but it'll probably be, I don't know, worst case scenario, best case scenario, end of year, maybe next year. But it's something that we have to map out in terms of how we want to do that as well. Yeah, so your mom must be excited. <laughs> she is, but I think like that's the thing that with COVID now, you can work from anywhere, right? Mm. Like it doesn't matter. So even if we were to move to Malaysia, it's not like we won't be coming back to Australia. Because mm-hmm. even now, we're here, but we're in, like, once a month, someone from our team is in Malaysia, you know, to still kind of keep that culture going, to kind of still have those meetings with the team and stuff like that. So for us, it's just working out what the best scenario is. Okay, great. So last question. So give us the, where is your office in Malaysia? And the if someone is interested, how do they get there? So we're located uh, on Jalan Tunku Abdul Rahman. So like if anyone in Malaysia knows like the GS Guild Sports Store, we're literally in that same building on level one. Okay, great. So thank you, Simcor, for... Oh, last question. So some a Malaysian who wants to start a business in Australia, uh, do you have any advice for them? I would say if you're a Malaysian that wants to start a business here, I'd say come here and do your research, right? Like spend some time on the ground speak to a few different people, look at the industry that you want to talk, like you want to get into, speak to people that are from a similar industry, um, join a couple of networking groups so you can get a feel and flavor for what the market is, right? And what the opportunity is for your business to grow in this space. Awesome. All right. So we've been speaking to Sim Core, the uh, co-founder of Pounds Agency. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. No worries. Awesome. Okay, thank you guys.